Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Brandon Magarowski. In 2016, Brandon set out on a goal to buy his first apartment complex and put himself on a path to financial freedom. He reached that goal by purchasing two multifamily properties in less than a year. After buying those properties, he took his experiences in athletics and entrepreneurship and applied it to building a real estate team and syndicating large apartment complexes. Today, he has ownership in over 150 units and has raised over a million dollars for real estate deals. He achieved this through education, networking, and team building. I believe that like attracts like. The universe has forced us into this room today for this interview. Wealth Science, I bring you Brandon Magarosi. Welcome to the show, brother. What's going on? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I got goosebumps that introduction right there. That's awesome. Hearing yeah, man, that uh, from you is is hearing that from you, Brandon, and another podcast host. It, it means a lot. I'm a huge fan of everything you guys are doing over there at Real Focus. And uh, yeah, man, it's a privilege to have you here. You know, for the people who don't know who you are, I'd love for you to just take the mic and kind of give us your background and how you got to uh, today. Sure. Yeah. Um, we actually had this conversation with my team the other day. Is I'm pretty much living the American dream. I came here from Canada back in 2004 to play college baseball in Shreveport. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, come down for three years. I was a fairly good college baseball player, but I knew early on I wasn't big enough, strong enough, fast enough to really go to the pro level and grind myself through, you know, independent ball or minor league baseball. It just wasn't in the cards for me. So I kind of shifted my focus towards coaching and education. And after I had my playing career, I actually went back home for a couple of years. And then I got a call from my coach at LSU Shreveport and he called me and said, Hey, I want you to come back and be the graduate assistant coach. I was like, great. I love coaching. That's what I want to do. And they're going to pay for my master's degree. So I was like, all right, mom and dad packing the U-Haul driving down. See you later. And then they, are you coming back? I said, I don't know. Anyway. So I go and I coach for two years. And just as I realized in my playing career that I wasn't going to make it to the major leagues or the pro baseball uh, with coaching, I was kind of on the same path of like, I can't put in the time it takes to become a division one head coach. And what I mean, what I mean by that is there's, there's guys that will spend 12 years as an assistant coach making 40 to $45,000 a year, putting in hours and hours and hours for the love of the game and the players to eventually reach their goal of being a head coach at a major division one school. And some guys will never make it. So I, I, you know, again, realized that coaching wasn't in the cards for me and entrepreneurship was. I got out of uh, coaching when I graduated with my master's degree. And then I met a guy that was running some baseball tournaments in Louisiana. And I was like, man, I love baseball. Is there a way that I could ever make my living inside of baseball? He was running some tournaments for high school kids. I said, hey, let's, uh, you know, you want to team up and run some together. 
Uh, we ended up running five tournaments together that summer. We had a great relationship, value system aligned, and we started our company, what's called 2D Sports Baseball. I became the acting CEO September of 2014. We've taken that business from five tournaments in the summer to over 100 events a year across 10 different states. And as we've grown the business, um, you know, early on, you're in the trenches, you're doing the accounting, you're doing the marketing, you're doing everything. I was the only employee, everyone else was just an owner helping operate some events, but I was doing everything. And as we grew, you know, we had more resources to bring on more people, which I finally feel after seven years, I'm actually sitting in the CEO role, moving the pawns, you know, motivating employees, getting people set up in the right uh, scope of work, the responsibility list. And with that has created some freedom finally to have some side hustles. So in 2016, uh, my partner, Ramsey Blankenship, who's active duty Navy stationed in San Diego, he had some uh, short-term rentals in Panama City Beach. And he was telling me about them. And I was like, man, how are you doing that? Like I've made some money selling my personal residence, but I've never understood investing in single family or multifamily. I read some house hacking stuff, but I had a wife and kids and house hacking wasn't in the cards for us. Um, so he just, he, he basically told me, he said, Hey, have you ever read uh, rich dad, poor dad? I said, what, no, what is it? I don't read. <laughs> That's basically what I said. I, you know, you go through school for whatever, 18 years. You're like, you put the books away. He's like, just read the book. I read the book, light bulb went off. I said, man, I gotta, I gotta do this. I've got to start buying cash flowing assets. I said, Ramsey, let's buy something together. We bought two properties in Shreveport, a six unit and a three unit. We still own them today. And since that point in 2016, and we bought those properties, we both went to Neil Bowes Bootcamp, Multifamily University, learned to syndicate apartments. Along the way, we picked up two more team members, Joey Bick and Chris Kuhneman, who played vital roles within our group. And we've been together as a foursome for the past year. And in our first year, Together, we've closed on, in partnership with other GP groups, 119-unit deal in Lubbock. We're about to close on a 34-unit deal in San Antonio. We JV'd and bought an eight-unit boutique hotel in South Louisiana and a 10-unit veterans-assisted living property in Panama City right in Joey's back door. Um, we are now pivoting to look at the different asset classes because of the multifamily realm. But that's a conversation for another day. On another note, living the American dream, I've been a permanent resident of this country for 10 years. My permanent residency card expires this year. So I have a choice to renew my permanent residency or go for my citizenship. So I was like, I looked at the cost difference, $1,200 to renew your permanent residency, $750 to go for citizenship. Well, I'm Polish, I'm kind of cheap. So I went, I went online and did the application for citizenship. And long story short, I'm going to become a dual citizen, United States and Canada in March. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. I had no idea. I knew you were from Canada, but I didn't know like your whole residency. And it's ironic that it's uh, up this year. And your story, I mean, it's incredible from baseball to graduate coach to scaling this massive business and now doing real estate here on the side. I'm just picturing what that life work balance is like. It, it must be crazy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested, Brandon, where was kind of like that initial calling to be an entrepreneur? You know what I said? You know, like you're doing the baseball thing, you're a grad coach, and now you're, you've launched that big business and you're in real estate now, I guess. Where was that initial idea of like, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur? I think going, growing up, even starting with like my first job, as I think I was working in a grocery store and moving on up and doing some administrative roles. 
every boss that I've ever worked for, I always thought to myself, like, and there's no disrespect to them. They're giving me opportunity. I just thought there was always a better way to do it. And I had ideas and I would express ideas. And, you know, a lot of people just don't change their ways. And I always felt like I could build a team and do it better than everybody else or do it better than the person in front of me. And that's what I did. I, I we started 2D Sports Baseball and my role was to build a team to go execute events. Sounds simple, but in, inside of a tournament, there's a lot of just moving parts and there's a lot of logistics involved. And, and I got really good at identifying who fits our value system in our company um, and where do they belong in our company. And it's, and it's not alone, you know, it's with the ownership group that we all put together. Again, value systems align. And, and by building those teams and just like the real estate team, and doing business with other people within your value system, like-minded, you know, you know that word very well. It's just, it's just grown. It's all organic growth by having the surrounding yourself with the right people and empowering them by putting them in the right role within your company. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I read the book. It's by Jim Collins. It's called Good to Great, but he depicts putting the right people on the bus in the right seats. And you'll be, it doesn't matter where the bus is going. If you can just achieve that, um, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. And I, I completely relate to you. You know, no disrespect to any bosses out there, but, you know, I think that what draws me to being an entrepreneur is, is just that idea of like, I'm, I'm done working in a cubicle to like create someone else's dream. I think there's just right. that aspect of like, what do I really want out there? And what can I build for myself or build for my team? But yeah, I mean, I think that's super, super interesting. You know, in looking at those first couple of deals in 2016, you know, you start learning about real estate. How did you cross that initial knowledge gap, Brandon? Like, how were you closing that gap? Like the networking? I don't know if there were mentors involved or meetups. Like, how did you get after those first few deals? And how did you know what was going on? Uh, so Ramsey kind of held my hand through those deals with, with some books and everything, but you know, his knowledge base of multifamily at that point was through bigger pockets podcasts, you know, just listening to podcasts on the road and, you know, reading some books, but in the end, it's, it just took a leap, right? You're never going to have all the information you need, even in your underwriting, your underwriting and your data is going to show you, you know, the ins and outs of the numbers, but that's not all the information. And the only way to find out what the real information is, is to jump in with two feet and go buy the property. And those properties in Shreveport are not the greatest properties by any means that I will ever buy. Okay. They, they have not cash flowed as we anticipated. You know, they're just, they're just not the deals that we underwrote. But at that point, we didn't really know any better. And I wish there was a mentors. I wish I would have took a step back. But in the end, that forced us to figure out where we made our mistakes. And it didn't cost us a million dollars, right? We're in on it each for what, 10 grand, 12 grand for those properties. And they, they're pretty much, they cash flow a little bit, break even properties, um, that good tax write-off, but it forced us to go to the boot camp to say, where do we screw up? Let's go learn this right. If those, if those two properties would have by how some dumb luck just performed out of this world, I don't know if I would ever went into the syndication bootcamp. I probably would have just stuck with buying small multifamilies in my backyard. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And 
it's it's such an it's awesome that it was maybe and I don't want to call it a ten thousand dollar mistake, but it's better to be a ten thousand than a million dollar. And I I'm the type of guy, and I think you're similar, where it's like I got to get in there and get my hands dirty and make mistakes. Like I can't learn from a book. I have to like literally just make mistakes and get my hands on. Looking back on those deals, and you you know you talked about the underwriting was a little off. I mean, from the macro level, I guess what were kind of the major mistakes that you guys ran into that didn't have those deals perform the way you thought the, they mar- would? the market the market okay not understanding proper market research is what it was okay you know we we bought in a, in a market that um, it's just the metrics weren't there but we didn't understand how to how to you know analyze the metrics of a market. What we did is we said it works in Panama City, it's going to work here. And we just did the same model, but you got to understand that every city is different, every block is different. You know, just because, you know, you're, you're sitting here looking at a nice metro of, let's say, I mean, Dallas, you know, Dallas is huge, but there's pockets of Dallas where you don't want to own anything. And you've got to understand how to dive deep into those markets. And, under, and use the data to guide you. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And it is super important. I, I tell everybody, there's so many things you can change about property, except for the location. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. But like I said, I mean, super important that you guys were able to learn that earlier right, rather than later. You know, as you kind of started building out that team with Ramsey, what was kind of that initial draw, I guess, to start doing bigger deals? I mean, was it, you talked about it a little bit with, you know, those not performing as well, but what was kind of that, I guess, just that idea of like, hey, let's go into the syndication world. Uh, economies of scale, you know, having more doors under one building. I think the fear factor is when you look at the zeros, right? You know, you look at a hundred thousand dollar property and go, I could buy that. And then you look at a million dollar property and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how could I ever buy a million dollar property? And that's where you learn about syndicating, about using other people's capital to purchase these assets. So it's uh, it's it's just it's you know, kind of that glass ceiling mindset of being afraid. Don't be afraid of the zeros, right? Just analyze analyze the numbers, analyze the market, and if the numbers work, you'll find the capital. The capital is out there around every corner. There's millions and millions of dollars that need to do, be deployed into real estate. And Jesse, just like we talked about before we started recording here, you know, you are, you're raising capital. We raised capital last year. That's how a lot of people are getting into deals by raising capitals, capital, bringing it to the table to help get a deal across the finish line. You get a slice of the GP pie. You get to put it on your website. Yeah, no, it is amazing. And it is actually that easy, which is great. (laughs) I mean, easier said than done connecting with people and know, like, and trust and being authentic, Right. um, you know, is, is, it's complex in itself, but if you, I think if you're a good person and you understand how it works, then the rest is history. You know, we talked a little bit about building out a team and how you kind of took the reins of that in your business business. What, sorry, your baseball business. When looking at real focus, Brandon, I guess, how was that team kind of built out? And, you know, what's, what was you and Ramsey's kind of vision of like the type of people that you guys wanted to align with? Well, first, we're looking for the right person, not necessarily the best person. Um, you know, not, you know, with us being young in our real estate career together, we're not going to go after the big wigs and be able to, to pay someone a salary. So we're looking for somebody on the same level as us, but that has a similar value system that has the same hunger and competition level that we do to basically win deals. 
And we talk and we say, what are we not very good at? Or what do we not have the bandwidth to do? Um, number one was underwriting. We just didn't have, we understand how to underwrite, but we don't have the time to go and underwrite a hundred deals to get one. It's just not realistic. So we brought Chris on. Chris likes to underwrite. That's his specialty. Chris is our underwriter. The second thing was, you know, construction and project management. Um, you know, I can swing a hammer. I can do some handyman work, but when it comes to actually doing rehabs on properties, that's over my head. We insert Joey Bickham. Joey Bickham has 15 years of underwater construction management in the United States Navy. And I always say like, gosh, the guy can do it under the water. I'm sure he can do it on the land. So the 10 unit property in, in Panama City, Joey's the project construction manager on it. Five of the units down to the studs. And he's got that thing on clockwork. And that's when it comes to team building. Figure out, number one, what do you not want to do? And what are you not very good at? And fill those roles in. Yeah. Sometimes I, outsourced, sometimes brought in internally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I 100% agree. And I think, unfortunately, like there are teams out there who don't want to have those tough conversations of like, hey, what do we suck at? Or what are we not good at? And it's like, you're not going to get, A, you're not going to get any better. And B, you're not going to find the people to fill those gaps and to help you. Like you guys have a real focus. Um, yeah, it's, and just kind of the piece on the underwriting, you know, I don't think people know that you can just be awesome at Excel and just really good at like, and trust me, underwriting is more than just Excel, but that is a large piece of it. And you can find your way onto teams and syndicate deals. So. Yeah. And my, my advice to underwriters, because we've talked to a few and we've been through, even with Chris, we give them good feedback is you got to be able to tell the story with the numbers. You can't just plug in the numbers and say, Hey, this deal is pass or fail. You've got to be able to plug in the numbers and go, okay, here's why the numbers look this way. And if we did this to the property, the numbers would move with it. If, if the property went this way, there's other numbers move. You got to tell the whole story to your team about that underwriting. And I think some underwriters just get stuck on plug and play, plug in the numbers. Does this number meet a certain metric? No, it doesn't fail the deal. And it's like, sometimes you got to dig a little deeper than that. Yeah. If you're a million dollars under asking, you can dig as deep as you want. You're never going to get to asking price, but that's just something that we always talk about with our underwriters is, you know, tell a story with the numbers back to your team. Yeah, I love that. And, and staying on the topic of underwriting, you know, when it comes to the deals, like, <laughs> maybe not underwriting, but I mean, the topic of analyzing deals. I mean, you know, the deals that you guys look at at real focus, I, I think it's so easy for people out there to get maybe blinded by the numbers, Brandon. I'm not saying this has ever happened to you, but I think you can, the, we can get the Excel sheets to say whatever we want. Is in my opinion. I mean, how, how have you have you ever ran into that situation, or have you seen other teams run into that situation? I mean, what are you guys doing that real focus to like stress test deals to ensure like something like that doesn't happen? So we have underwriting one, our lead underwriter Chris, and then um, there's also underwriting two and three, which is pretty much the the rest of the team. So we can do a high level, simple one pager on Excel to understand if the deal the 10 minute analysis. And when he, when Chris goes and underwrites the entire deal and brings it back to us, we have a team meeting and we go through the entire underwriting together um, to make sure that there's no discrepancies in the numbers. Um, and then also some on, on other teams, you know, we bounce on underwriting off the other GP group that we're partnering with and say, Hey guys, where are you coming in at? Where are we coming in at? Um, but you're right. If, if you're a lone soldier underwriter and one cell is off, 
It could kill, it, it, you may think it's a great deal. And that's why you've got to really, really get your team together and tell the story with the numbers and double, triple check those formulas. One, uh, one sell off could literally ruin <laughs> somebody's life. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, I love how you guys have multiple, um, multiple checks to ensure that something like that doesn't happen. It's and I would encourage pass, you know, passive investors, guys that are putting money in deals as limited partners, passively investing, um, learn the basics of underwriting and learn where the red flags are. There's a lot of information out there. We have an episode with Travis Watts, who's a full-time passive investor. He's a, I mean, if you hadn't had him, he's great. He, he has very, very good advice for passive investors. Don't just pull, push your money in assuming that that team has their underwriting dialed in. Um, there's, there's underwriters out there that are, you know, they can switch the deal by changing one number and that's the exit cap rate. You can switch the exit cap rate Let's say you buy it at a six and you put that exit cap rate at a five, you just jacked up the sales price at the end of five years. And that makes that return look unbelievable. Is it a reality that the cap rates are going to compress that much? That's what, that's what you have to understand when you're starting to put $50,000, $100,000 into deals. You've got to do your due diligence. You can't just, just because you like, know, and trust that group. You've got to be, you got to maybe have your own underwriter on your team. Understand yourself. I don't understand. Like that's up to you to figure out before you put your money in a deal. That's just some advice to limited partners. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And there's a lot of limited partners who listen to this show or connect with me on LinkedIn and they follow up with this show. And I think that's a great point. You know, I get asked this all the time, Brandon. It's like, Jesse, I'm ready to invest in real estate, but I have no idea like the questions I should be asking GPs out there or what should I be looking for in, you know, if you could just in your journey and other investors that you've worked with, I mean, just A to Z, I mean, what are some of these questions these guys should be asking? You know, what's an example of a good sponsor? What's an example of a bad one in your opinion? Well, you, what you want to do as a limited partner is probably find two to three groups to grow with. Um, you know, obviously you're going to go after experienced syndicators and ask them, have they gone full cycle, which means have they bought a property, owned it for three to five years, exit the property and gave the returns they promised everybody. That's a really good, you know, ticket on somebody's resume to go, man, this group has done it once or twice or three times on the flip side. There's always new people in the game. You know, for example, us that we haven't done full cycle yet. And the benefit to a limited partner is, yeah, a little bit higher risk, but there's a little more meat on the bone for you, meaning that, you know, it's going to be more of an 80-20 split with a pref versus if you go to an experienced syndication team, your risk is lowered, but the reward is also lowered. It's sometimes a 70-30 split, no pref. I mean, it's dependent on which groups you connect with. And, and the reality is, is you can't network with everybody. You can't find every group in the country and vet every single one of them. You know, the best way to do it is to go on LinkedIn, go on social, start working through the network, through that wormhole to find out. And you're going to pick up GP teams along the way and just ask other people about them. Ask them who, who's invested in your deals. I'd like their contact information. I'd like to talk to them and see how, how's the reporting? How's, how's the communication? Um, it's, it's just like hiring somebody or doing business with anybody. You're going to do, you have to do your due diligence on that team before you invest any money. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think just to your point about 
you know, speaking to other people out there who know that, who, who have invested with those guys before, who can kind of give you maybe a snapshot or just a look behind the curtain of what it is like to invest with these, uh, you know, with that sponsor. Because I don't think people understand, like, you know, partnering in a deal, if it is limited to active or whatever, it's like, you know, being married to someone. It's literally like, you're in this with them until this deal sells. Um, so that's that's really important. I, I 100% agree. Um, kind of a, a follow-up question to that. And, probably more of a selfish question, Brandon, but I guess when you're the host of the show, you get to ask these, you know, for maybe someone like me who doesn't have that track record yet, or hasn't taken a deal full cycle, I partner with people who have put deals, you know, full cycle, or if I'm raising capital, I'm going to partner with, you know, some large syndicator. I mean, have you guys at Real Focus, I guess, gotten that rebuttal? And I mean, how have you guys kind of gotten over that, you know, that obstacle? Well, that's the, you know, as a syndicator, that's kind of the ticket into deals. The number one ticket into deals is by bringing capital. Um, and for us, you know, we started warming investors up, family, friends, colleagues, you know, a year and a half, two years ago to say, hey, this is kind of what you're doing. This is what we're doing. Here's a sample deal. This is the minimums. These are the returns you can expect. Here's why to invest in multifamily. Put together a whole webinar about it. And just kept people warm and said, hey, there's a deal coming. Then we started connecting with GP groups in our region and just, you know, talking to them. Be like, hey, what are you guys trying to do? Oh, great. You're in DFW. You know, the group that we did the Lubbock deal was VFR Capital. Um, and what happened was, is they had the deal under contract. This is the 119 deal in Lubbock. And they had a person on their team said that they can bring a million dollars to the table of capital. Two weeks before close, that person hadn't raised a dollar. And so they need to come up with, um, I think they had to come up with a million five in two weeks before close. So they just got on social media and this is the power of social media and the power of following different groups and said, hey, we're looking for a GP partner that can bring this much money to the table. Ramsey, maybe by dumb luck, was following them, saw the message, private message of group said, hey, we can do that. And we got we got together. Our, our obligation was to raise $250,000. We had eight days to do it. And keep in mind, we hadn't raised a dollar for a single deal before this. We raised $500,000 in eight days for this deal. And the reason we were able to do that is because the people that invest in this deal, we've been talking to them for over a year about this, about what we're doing, who we are, why you should invest your money with us, because we're going to vet that deal before we ask for your money, because you're our investors, even though VFR has the deal and they're going to be the big, you know, the operators, we're responsible for our investors' money. We're responsible for communicating to our investors what's going on with the property. And that's how this works. When you get in a deal, Jesse, and you bring a million dollars, you are responsible for that million dollars and all those people that because they're investing in jesse they're trusting you to vet that deal and that team yeah uh five hundred thousand dollars one week first ever raise that's amazing uh, was there ever like thoughts of like oh my god like but i guess it's mitigated because you're talking to these people for over a year but uh, you know was there ever that thought in the back here oh my god what if we bring 10 grand well, we would be in the deal. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there was, we had a, we had a meeting about it and we basically, it, it kind of goes back to that point about buying those properties early in Shreveport. Like 
we didn't have all the information and we didn't have all the confidence and the, and, you know, it's kind of a glass ceiling mindset, but we had a meeting and said, Hey, we've been trying to do a deal like this for like four months now. And we have an opportunity on our, in our, you know, let's, let's jump in two feet. Let's go. If we fail, we fail, but it's not going to be from a lack of effort. I promise you that. And it was eight days and we did it. And from that point forward, our relationship with VFR has blossomed. Um, there's going to be more deals coming down the pipeline. Uh, the deal's going really well. The communication, everything, everything we said to our investors, um, we've only held the deal at less than a year, but everything we said regarding communication and, and transparency is there. So they're very happy with that. Um, we'll see how the deal goes in about four years, though. <laughs> it's, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy, and there's so much to take away from that because I know there yeah. are people stuck in that analysis paralysis that are like, man, I'll pass this one up because even, even me, like if that option came up, I, I would like do a gut check real quick and be like, oh my God, what if I fail? Especially with a team like that, that is an amazing team out of DFW. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that, I mean, could ruin, you know, maybe not your reputation, but at least your reputation to that group, uh, yeah. which is your name is so powerful in this game too. This game is smaller than people think. Yeah. Um, and on that analysis paralysis, I've been thinking about this since the new year. We went to a goals conference in the new year. It was the Real Estate Guys Goal Conference. It was really, really good. It was two and a half days, no computer, no phone, a pen to paper, like writing goals, deep dive. And I came out of that thinking about this analysis paralysis. And a lot of the gurus and everybody talks about, hey, what book do you read? And what book do you recommend? What book should I read? What podcast should I listen to? And all these newbies are coming in and just reading books and books and books and books and different ideas and different ideas and just regurgitating what they read and there's no real thoughts of their own they're only trying to do what everyone's telling them to do inside these books yeah the people inside the books are experts in their field but their environment when they went through what they're writing about could be different than yours today so you can't just cookie cut what they're doing and put it in your life and think that it's going to work out. You've got to think for yourself, compete for yourself, read the books, but don't just sit there and regurgitate what you read and act like you're the expert. It drives me crazy. There's a guy at this conference that we meet him within the first five minutes. And the second word out of his mouth was never sell a property. Don't sell. We never sell. And I kind of got to think, I said, what do you, what do you own? He's like, I want a duplex up in Maryland or something. So when did you buy it? He said, I bought it. Uh, you know, we owned it for like three months and he's already saying never sell. And guess where he read that real estate guys book. Cause they don't sell properties, but they also own 15,000 doors and they have these economies of scale. You may want to sell that duplex buddy. So you can get out of it and roll that capital into something bigger. And that was just kind of, that got me thinking about so many people just, they act like the expert by just speaking what they're reading, not speaking from experience about the mistakes that they've made and telling people what they don't know. Quit acting like you know everything because nobody does. All right, my rant's over. Man, I feel like my, uh, my dad. I feel like my dad was just giving me a big <laughs> yeah. he me Well, like- I wasn't talking about you. I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was awesome. and, that, and that's kind of, and that's, you know, we're pivoting a little bit as a group. Yes. Yeah, so we talked about this, um, you know, multifamily 
if you think about it, I started learning about multifamily back in 2016, and it was already a really hot subject. It's 2022. Think about how many podcasts are out there about multifamily? How many books have been written about multifamily? How many boot camps are out there about multifamily? Why do you think it's so hard to buy a deal in hot markets? Because the competition level is higher than it's ever been. And now, now institutional money, which used to be let's buy 250 doors plus, they're coming down to the 100 door mark. So we're, we're thinking as a group, like, yeah, there's deals to be had, but man, they're few and far between these days on the multifamily inside the really good market. So we may need to make a little pivot here because in the end, personally, this is about passive income and monthly cash flow in about five years. That's kind of my goal is to have some real monthly passive income with little to no effort in five years and beating my head against the wall underwriting deals that are we're coming in a million million dollars under asking is not the path right now for 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 us so we're, we've got you you've got to remember even though the big gurus are telling you you know big multifamily big multifamily apartments 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 um don't ignore cash flowing assets in good markets no matter the size yeah i completely agree and you know, we look at several mobile home park deals. We look at storage deals with boat and RVs. And I think people who are married to just one asset class, and we see it all the time, you know, I only do multifamily. I do multifamily in, in Phoenix and that's it. I think those people are missing opportunities. And it's like, I, I don't care if the dollar comes in from an apartment building or if it comes in from a storage, I'm interested in the passive income. What are some of the assets you guys might be pivoting um, to take down here in 2022? So we kind of did it with um, the two smaller properties we bought last year, the boutique hotel, the eight unit boutique hotel down in um, Lake Arthur, Louisiana. It was an old bank that the gentleman converted to an eight unit hotel. It's a very unique property. And we ended up buying it from the owner. The husband actually died, reached out to Ramsey because Ramsey went to school with um, her daughter and said, hey, I'm looking to sell this property. Would you consider it? And we looked at it and we ended up buying it. Good cash flowing asset. We bought it. It's at 30% occupancy when we bought it. That's their yearly occupancy. Our numbers said if we can get that thing over 50% occupancy, half full for the entire year and reduce the expense ratio by 15%, it's a cash flowing machine. 10 unit deal in Gulf in uh, Panama City. We ended up paying $50,000 over asking for that property, all cash. Uh, we were lucky to have the four, uh, four of us in a position where we've been, we basically been saving up for a deal, right? We bought that deal. That thing, we're going to refi it in about two weeks, get all our capital back. We'll have our, our capital back in less than a year and have a cash flowing machine. Eight units and 10 units will cash flow more than the effort and, and work we put in for us personally on 119 unit units. And the reason is, is because the equity stake, you know, when you're getting in um, on these big deals as a syndicator raising capital, that slice of the pie gets pretty small um, when all said and done, when you're talking about an 80, 20 split and you're not bringing capital to the table, you're part of that 20% group and you only get what, three to 5% of that 20% group. And, 
you know, you, you just, you're pinched way down. You just think how many doors do I personally own on the 119 unit deal? Probably, I don't know, two, maybe, <laughs> you know, out of that whole deal. And then I look at this eight unit and 10 units. So back to your point, the pivot, right? We're, we're really starting to look at boutique hotels. We really like the veterans assisted living, not low income living, but veterans assisted living um, and then RV parks. Yeah, I think there's so many awesome points that you made. And just like, I get asked all the time. It's like, you know, Jesse, should I go small? Should I go big? And you talked about all the benefits in the beginning, the economies of scale of going from, you know, small to big or huge. But just that point too, and like, not that the, the $500,000 raise wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah, that's a big deal. But it's like, you're stretching your dollars and those returns on this 10 unit or that boutique um, hotel is going to be like, 10x compared to how many doors you guys own there. So it's like, you know, if you just want to, you know, have 2% of the deal to say you're a partner on a 400 unit deal, I mean, go ahead. But what's actually going to deliver you to financial freedom faster, right. you know, in, exactly. in my opinion, again, I, I could care less if it comes from a 400 unit deal or a off-market self-storage deal that we can value at and put RVs on. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something uh, I find really intriguing and I'm excited to see you guys do that here. Um, and that and that goes back to my point about everybody reading books and listening to podcasts. And if you only listen to multifamily podcasts and read books about multifamily syndicators, you're going to pigeon yourself whole, you're going to, sorry, pigeonhole yourself into that multifamily stream or whatever the asset class is. And you're going to get your blinders on and three years are going to pass and you're going to own minimal doors right now because it's ultra, ultra, ultra competitive. And we're not getting out of multifamily by any means, but we've got to make a pivot and start learning about other asset classes, learning about RV parks, you know, learning about raising a capital for a fund. Like you've got to make a pivot or else you're going to be stuck in that same lane and people are going to pass you by. Yeah, I completely agree. And I read an awesome book by Adam Grant, the psychologist who um, talked about the death of the Blackberry and like how big the Blackberry was in like 2010. Mm -hmm. Everybody needed one. It's like Blackberry never pivoted. And that's why the iPhone just ate it. And it's, it's crazy. But the way he depicted it was so cool. And it's exactly yeah. what you're talking about right now. Um, yeah, which is awesome. It's, it's crazy. Like, and even in business, right? It does not outside of real estate. Find where the opportunity is where everybody else isn't. There's going to be players. There's players in every little industry and in every little pocket and find out where the gurus aren't. Where are the books? What are the books not written about that have the potential to generate cash flow, you know, a cash flowing asset? Start thinking about that, like just expand your mind and be like, man, that could be a really good idea. Like, that's a great asset class. Well, how come I can't see me read anything about it? Because no, nobody has been the expert in that field yet. So why not you? Why not be the expert? It's right there. The, the, the asset's there. The numbers make sense. It's going to cash flow. You become the expert. You write the book. And I'm not talking to you, Jesse. I'm just saying in general. Yeah, but you can. You can if you want. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I can. There, there's no doubt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. People who can see the opportunity and then there are people who can't. And the ones that can um, are going to be the ones who can pivot and, and capitalize on those opportunities. So yeah, I got to get ready to wrap this up. 
you and I could talk for two hours, but I got to ask you a question before we finish this. I like ended on not real estate related stuff. We talk a lot of yeah. finance stuff on here. It's cool to kind of break it down. You know, your background in baseball, it's, it's super intriguing. And I, I had a question about like the coaches who make it to the MLB or those guys, because I'm a diehard Yankees fan. And the batting coach for the Yankees right now, they just hired him. He's like 34 years old. And the bit, like, I think his background is in like the uh, science and he uses technology to like develop and coach players. But it's like this 34 year old dude is the batting coach for the New York mm-hmm. Yankees. Like how do coaches scale their careers? I guess, you know, do the good ones always make it to the MLB or is it kind of what we're talking about before Brandon? Is it the ones who can pivot and find those opportunities? It's the ones who can pivot and network. It, it's 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 the same thing as any business. It's about who you know and who knows you, right? Yeah, your track record and winning and all that stuff, that, that should take care of yourself. If you have aspirations to move up in the next level, you should be like the big leagues is where you're at today. Like take care of business here, win in your program, take care of the players, graduate your players. But in the meantime, you should be telling everybody who you are, meeting as many people as you can, going to conferences, just like real estate. It's like your network is your net worth. It's the same thing inside of sports. You know, and once you get your foot, you got to get your foot in the door, you know, to division one baseball. And then you network in there and you move up the ladder. Um, I just had a friend actually last year went from head coach of NAI program in Shreveport, LSUS, and he got offered a job with the Toronto Blue Jays. And it was based off what you said. It was based off him pivoting away from old school baseball and starting to think about using the data to analyze hitters. And that sparked the attention of the Blue Jays. He interviewed, he got the job. He recently actually just got offered a bullpen catching job, a full-time bullpen catching job for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he, he had to turn it down. He's got a family and uh, that, that life, the bullpen catcher life is for, um, Somebody that has no ties back at home, to say the least. So, but now he's in and now he needs to take care of business with them. Uh, It's in the professional ranks and you just slowly move up the ranks as you get to know people and they understand who you are. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it was just so intriguing when I heard about the story and like the way the news article was written, it was like, yeah, he uses technology to help coach hitters that like the coaches that have been doing this decades more than him are either unwilling to use or just stuck in their ways, but he pivoted, found an opportunity. Now he's the batting. Yeah, it's the pivot. Yeah, you uh, you know, the old school guys that get stuck in their old school ways and, and just put their nose up to new ideas. Um, again, just inside any business and, and the person that can pivot and capture the opportunity and come up with a fresh idea that works is the one that's gonna, you're gonna bypass those people. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. It, it, it was a privilege having you on today, Brandon. Your story—it's—it's it's incredible. I—I I love your your wealth of knowledge, and it's cool. You're just a cool dude to talk to, too. So I appreciate that. You know, for people who want to hear more about you, Brandon, they're interested in you know the content that you guys put out, the deals that you guys are taking down at Real Focus. What platforms are you on? How can people find you after the show? Yeah, sure. Uh, RealFocus.org—that's our website. Uh, our podcast is Gorilla State Investing Podcast, and we're actually coming out with a new Facebook group with uh, with the gorilla in mind as kind of the mascot of the group. Uh, it's from middle class to millionaire is going to be the oh, Facebook yeah. group. So we're we're 
trying to bring together a community and a network of the middle-class people that need to understand how they can get out of the middle-class to get on the track towards millionaire status. And it's really, again, it's a glass ceiling mindset. It's actually closer than people think, you know, to, it's, so we're going to develop the group. We're going to bring in the network and we're going to develop tools and strategies to show people that it's, it's really achievable for anybody in this country. I love that. It's, it's so powerful. And I think so many people underestimate that. And I think maybe people, I don't know why they think I, you know, I grew up here. I can't do this, but like, I'm telling you, I've had guys on this podcast who grew up on food stamps and came from nothing. And they have literally thousands of units today just because they thought that they could. So yep. um, that's it. It's awesome, dude. Brandon, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. It's going to add so much value to so many people out there. I love everything that you guys are doing. You know, real focus is a world-class act and I'm a huge fan of the podcast too. You guys have amazing guests on there. So thank you again for coming on and adding some value to my audience today. I appreciate it. Awesome, buddy. Thanks, Jesse. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.